Let us pray. Lord, again on this Sunday after Easter, we come to you rejoicing that the cross is empty. The tomb is empty. We look forward to the day when we join together with you and the angels rejoicing in heaven. Bless the word this morning. Bless the people who hear it. Bless those who still need to receive it. May you open their eyes, their ears, and their hearts for the good news of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. How many of you ever just feel completely out of rhythm? I am today. I'll be honest with you. I'm just completely out of rhythm. My alarm went off this morning. I got up, headed right to the shower. When I got in there, I shut the shower door. I happened to look over the top of the door, and the clock in the bathroom said 510. 5:10. And I thought, well, normally the alarm goes off about 6:08. I thought, huh, maybe the battery's out in the clock in the bathroom. And so I took a shower and shaved and walked out and walked over to the other side of the bed, and sure enough, by this time, it was about 6.18. I was an hour off. And I thought, well, maybe I accidentally did something to that clock. And so I wandered out into my office and picked up my wristwatch, and it was 6.20 and everything else, and I was off by a whole hour. It just ruined my morning. I'm just completely out of sync. And it's like, what am I going to do now? I mean, because normally I know pretty much what I want to do every Sunday morning, and it's just like clockwork. Well, that's such a pesty little example. But you know what happens when you get out of rhythm? You just, things just don't work the way you plan them to work. I'm going to start with, a scripture reading I'm going to base today's message on. You won't find it anywhere, maybe in your message outline where it says, Psalm 92, verses 1 and 2. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning. And I might add, even if you accidentally get up an hour early. By the way, I have one of those atomic clocks that thinks today is daylight savings time. And your faithfulness by night. And tonight I'm going to be really tired. On the screen, you're going to see a picture of Jerry Rice. And Jerry Rice is one of my uh, favorite football players. He was the former wide receiver of the San Francisco 49ers. He's remembered as not only one of the greatest uh, football players to ever play the game of football, but he was also one of the hardest working ones. And he said something that I really like. And you see that quote there. He said, today I will do what others won't. So tomorrow I can accomplish what others can't. I like that. Today I will do what others won't, so tomorrow I can accomplish what others can't. Now there's one key word in this quote that makes all the difference in the world. You know what word that is? It's the very first word. Today. Today I will do what others won't do, so tomorrow I can accomplish what others can't. Not yesterday. I mean, yesterday's done with, not tomorrow, we don't know anything about it, but today. 
Now, like many of you, I've gone through seasons of my life where everything went well. Everything was just going smooth. I was in rhythm. I was in a zone. But then there are days and weeks and months where I have floundered and flopped like a, a, a fish out of water. And the difference between those two, flourishing and floundering, comes down to what I would call the daily rhythm of life, which is doing the same things over and over again in kind of a consistent tempo of daily living. Now, just like good rhythm is uh, essential to good music, uh, good rhythm is essential to other areas of life as well. I mean, you see it happen on the football fields. You can see it if you've been watching at the NCAA games. You see it happening on the basketball courts. You know, you'll see a team that suddenly gets in rhythm, and they'll start talking about a player who's in a zone. You know, seemingly without effort, everything works well until they finally score, and there's nothing that anybody can do to stop them. Now, wouldn't you like to be in the zone all the time? Wouldn't you like to have this rhythm of life where everything kind of goes smoothly? See, we need to learn how to establish a rhythm to our lives so that we can become as good as we possibly can be. That's why we're starting this new message series today that I've, I've just called Rhythm. I couldn't think of any other thing to call it, but Rhythm. It's about setting the tempo of our daily life and getting in the habit of doing the best things. You know, I probably could have called this a series about spiritual disciplines because as we call ourselves Christ followers, Jesus suggests to us that there are spiritual disciplines that we ought to practice day by day in order to strengthen that relationship we have with him. It's about setting the tempo of our daily life, getting in the habit day by day. That's because once you get into the rhythm, once you get into a zone, once you get into a groove, your life begins to make good music. So the question is, where do we start? Well, there is something that all of us can do to set the tempo of every day of life. Now, I left out part of the story this morning when I told you about getting up early because I said I kind of started out out of rhythm. And once I got dried off and started getting dressed, I thought, well, one more hour to get some things done. There are other things. God has kind of blessed me with some extra time this morning. I can go through today's message one more time. In fact, I can go back and I can mark a few more Bible passages and get ready for teaching at Angola Prison next week. You know, I have that extra time. And so I, I started off with bonus amount of time. And guess what? I actually thank God for it rather than go, oh, rats. It's a, now, what, what was the change? Well, there's something that you, every one of us can do at the beginning of each day to set the tempo. It's the principle of gratitude. Gratitude. It's giving thanks. It's the attitude of gratitude, if you will. It's thanksgiving or thanks living, whatever you want to call it. It's where an effective life begins. Now, you see Sir John Templeton up here. Sir John Templeton is a, um, a billionaire investor. He's also a very devout Christian, and this is what he says about gratitude. He said, if you're not grateful, you're not rich, no matter how much you have. Pretty good thought. Now, do you know what happens when you become a grateful person? 
kind of discovered this quite by accident, because when I opened up my Bible this morning, I saw the Bible passage. What happens when you choose to be a grateful person? The answer is, you enter into the presence of God. You ever think about that? When you choose to be grateful, you enter into the presence of God. Now, how do I know that? Well, it's because when I opened up my Bible this morning, I happened to open it up to Psalm 100. And in Psalm 100, just looking down a few verses, verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. No, as you come with thanksgiving, you come with this attitude of gratitude, you are literally entering his gates. You're coming into the presence of God. Now, maybe this is a rhetorical question, but do you want to get closer to God? Get grateful. That's pretty simple. Get grateful. The more grateful you are, the closer or the nearer you draw to the throne of God. So today I want to suggest three things you can do to get into this rhythm of gratitude. Now, here's the very first thing. One of them is just to start keeping track of every good thing. Keep track of every good thing in your life. Now, I talked to a bunch of people. I talked to a couple this last week while I was waiting out at a bookstore to sell some books. And, you know, sometimes you can talk to people and you just get the general idea they're not thankful for anything. And not only are they not thankful for anything, they don't think they have anything to be thankful for. There's some of the most... Man, they just about suck the joy out of you. You talk to them too long. You know, they evaluate their lives, it seems, by what they don't have. I mean, all they see is lack. I don't have this. I don't have that. I mean, this is what uh, I always think of as stinking thinking. And when you're always looking about what you don't have, it only leads to unhappiness. It doesn't lead to gratitude. And we know what gratitude does what? Brings us into the presence of God. See, instead, you know, make it a point to itemize every good thing in your life. Now, I would say today, grab a sheet of paper and do that. Write down every good thing in your life. In fact, I would say, don't, don't get a sheet of paper. Why don't you get yourself a notebook? Because if you're really honest, it's going to take more than a sheet of paper. And if you don't know where to start, let me give you three basic things you could write on there at the top. You have a pulse, you're breathing, and you're here making a list. I mean, those are three things right off the top to be grateful for. And then just add to that list. I mean, all kinds of things. Uh, thankful for your job or your relationship or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband or your wife or uh, your intelligence or even be thankful for your lack of intelligence or good music or good books or positive influences in your life or beautiful weather or the city you live in or the places you've been or the opportunities you've had your home, your wife, your car, your children, your shoes, your socks, you know, your mobility, your forgiveness, the mercy, Jesus, his church, the Bible. Yeah, and I'm just beginning to scratch the surface of everything. Now, if you're tempted to say, I have nothing to be grateful for, give yourself a dope slap and give yourself a chance to prove yourself wrong. Write them out. Psalm 16, David said, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Now, I love that line where it says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I mean, David could have certainly looked at his life and talked about everything that went wrong. And there was a lot that went wrong in his life. 
Instead, he said, no, the boundary spots, the, the circle you've drawn around me, God, they're in good places. He kept track of every good thing. And see, in keeping track of every good thing, that means we need to look at what we have. Not at what we don't have yet, not at what we don't have now, not at what we might not have in the future, uh, or not, not what we used to have, but what do we have right now? Now, see, our head, our brain, in fact, I should stick another word in there, our sinful brain, put that in there, our sinful brain, has a way of playing games with us in regard to the past, yesterday. Let me take you back in the Old Testament. This goes way back to the book of Numbers. But when God was, or when Moses was leading the children of Israel out of their slavery situation in Egypt, they were on their way to the promised land, they were in the desert, they had all the manna they could possibly eat, but still some of them grumbled. Numbers 11, verses 4 and 5. Look at this verse up there. It says, the rabble with them. Oh, gosh, I could preach a whole sermon on that one. You know, the rabble, there's always rabble around, rabble rousers. The rabble rousers began to crave more food. Now, what's kind of interesting, they began craving food that they weren't really getting as a slave, but they were craving it nonetheless. And they're weeping away. Oh, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Well, we remember the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Oh, but now we've lost our appetite. We've got nothing but this lousy man. Can anybody living like that in your house? I used to get a kick out of it when my son would come home from school. You could hear the front door. Whoop, boom. He'd walk in there and next thing you heard it. Boom. That's the refrigerator. Boom. Freezer. Then you hear him walk over. Boom. 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 Downstairs. Boom. Then you come upstairs and he says, There's nothing to eat in this house. Yeah, I thought, Oh my gosh, we've been robbed while we were gone. They came in and stole all the food. Well, that's, the, that's what our sinful minds teach us. See, the Israelites did what we are so prone to do. I mean, their focus was on stuff they never had. I mean, never mind that they were slaves in Egypt. They missed the onions and the garlic and the fish, for heaven's sakes. They couldn't think about this wonderful tasting manna. I mean, you might be tempted to do the same thing. Uh, You know, I used to have a better job. I used to have a better car. I used to have a better house. I used to have more money. I used to be younger. I used to have more hair. I used to have more energy. I lost it all. And sometimes we feel like we lost it all because we don't have stuff anymore. I'm just trying. It's kind of easy for us to think that way. But that kind of backward thinking can never lead to what I would call an up-tempo life. It'll just cause you to be out of rhythm in every which way. The simple truth is, the more you focus on the good things you have, the more good things seem to come in your life. I mean, this is 
what I want you to take home with you today, the more you appreciate your life, the more your life will appreciate. I mean, think about that for a moment. The more you appreciate your life, the more your life will appreciate. I mean, keep track of good things. All the good things that your Heavenly Father has literally dumped in your lap. Here's the second thing. Then begin and end each day with a, mo- with a moment of gratitude to God. Begin and end. Psalm 92, I read that at the beginning. Uh, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love. When? In the morning and your faithfulness by night. I'm not going to ask you if, how many of you made New Year's resolutions because the second question I was asked is how many of you have already broken most of them. Statistically, I read something like 65% of all New Year's resolutions are broken by January the 2nd. Um, but it's not too late to start when? Yesterday? No. Tomorrow? No. Today, with what I might call a new life resolution. A new life resolution. And then just plan on doing it from now on. Every morning when you wake up, and then every night before you go to sleep, thank God. Now, I really kind of struggle at doing this, and I do fairly well for the most part. And I'm going to tell you, it, it will be a struggle. You're not going to do it really well until it becomes a habit. And, and I'll tell you right now, it takes a while to, to get into the rhythm. But I, I begin each devotional day with kind of the same, same verse. In fact, it's going to be the text of our, our message next week. This comes from Lamentations, which said, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We just sang that during communion, didn't we? Great is thy faithfulness. And then what I do is I, I typically try to think uh, this. Today is going to be a good day because... And I try to think of a couple of reasons why it's going to be a good day. You know, today, you know, I think about, I see John over here. Today is a good day because we got Toastmasters today. So it's a good day. Um, today is a good day. We get to drive over to our house and see whether they did a good job painting. Uh, today is a good day because so-and-so is going to celebrate a birthday. I mean, today is a good day. You know, just think about it. It's just going to be a good day. I mean, the whole focus is to get into this rhythm of saying, thank you for everything. Uh, You'll see Ralph Waldo Emerson up here, I think. Ralph Waldo uh, had this quote, Cultivate the habit of being grateful for every good thing that comes to you and give thanks continuously. And because all things have contributed to your advancement, you should include all things in your gratitude. I mean, if, if it's all there to get you here, you ought to give thanks for all the stuff that got you there. Now, guess what? He was actually paraphrasing a Bible passage. He was paraphrasing Paul, who in 1 Thessalonians 5 said, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Now, as I look ahead at the start of each day, there are always things that I wish I didn't have to do. And as I look back at the end of each day, there are always things that I'd rather have happened differently. But being grateful helps me start and end each day. I, I, generally, when I go to bed at night, I go to bed, I go to sleep pretty quick when I lay down. But I try to think of all the good stuff that happened that day and try to say thank you one more time. Thank you, Lord, that this actually happened. 
Maya Angelou, maybe you know her, the poet laureate, she said, let gratitude be the pillow upon which you kneel to say your nightly prayers. You know, the old prayer that many of us were taught, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And then the next part always scared me as a little kid, and if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. But you know, at the end, I, I, I'm thanking again. Begin in each day with a thank you to God for his faithfulness, for his presence in your lives, you know, for another chance to serve him. And then third, say thank you to the people you encounter. I uh, had a friend who once told me that he didn't think you had to say thank you to people simply for doing what they're paid to do. He said their paycheck was thanks enough. I don't know, what do you think about that? I suppose in a bottom line kind of emotional way, he had a point. But you know what else he also had? As a boss, he had a hard time keeping workers. <laughs> he had a hard time keeping employees. He had a hard time finding people who were willing to go the extra mile because he said, I'm not telling them thanks, I'm paying you. By the way, as a pet peeve of mine, I've noticed this more and more, and I don't know if it's a Texarkana thing or just in the last five years or what, but when, when I tell somebody thank you, you know what just really grinds my gears is when they say, no problem. I don't know. That's got nothing to do with sermon. It just came to my mind. What's, what's wrong with saying, you're welcome? Thank you. You're welcome. See, people want to be appreciated. In fact, study after study has shown that what every employee most wants more than money is to be appreciated in the workplace. When you show sincere appreciation, you build a bond, and when your relationships are good, your life begins to move in rhythm. You've got this attitude of gratitude, this thanksgiving not only to God for all he's done, but gratitude to all of the people that God has placed in your life. A couple of years ago, in a former church, there was a, uh, a member who was going through some kind of difficult financial problems in his business, and, a, and another member of that church uh, helped him out to the tune of several thousand dollars. And I was only kind of indirectly involved, because I had mentioned that this guy was going through some difficult times, but the man who got the loan, I went up to him after a week when I found out the other guy loaned him thousands of dollars. I, I said, have you sent the other guy a thank you note yet? And the guy said, well, not yet, but I will. Well, I asked him about every Sunday when I'd see him in church, and he kept saying, well, no, not yet. And finally, one day, he said, look, that money came from God because God is my source. If this guy is going to get mad at me because I don't send him some dumb thank you note, it's because he's doing his righteous deeds so that other people can see him and, and, and praise his name. Whoa. Can you believe that? I mean, I can't even retell that story without thinking how many times I myself have failed to properly express my gratitude to people who blessed me. And I, I'm sure many of you could say the same thing today. I mean, so 
So here is another new life resolution I'd recommend today. Make it a point to say thank you to someone every single day. Now, I'm going to pick on Ed just for a moment. And I'm going to say thank you, Ed, because you know one thing Ed always says to me when he walks out of church is, thank you, Pastor. He says that without fail Sunday after Sunday. Now, you might think I'd get tired of that. I don't. There's been one person in every church who's done something like that. I always remember Richard Paneer, who would always walk out and every Sunday he'd say, Pastor, keep on doing what you're doing. It was his way of saying thank you. I mean, just imagine what a simple little thank you does for someone. You know, you thank them in the name of Jesus. I mean, somebody prepares a meal for you. I don't care if you've been married to that person for three days, three months, three years, 30 years, 60 years. Learn to say Thank you. I mean, even if somebody's doing a job that they get paid for, say thank you. If God uses somebody to bless you or minister to you, give thanks to God and then make sure you say thanks to that person. If you go through Paul's letters, Paul wrote letters to churches. And let me tell you, not all of these churches were nice churches. Some of them were pretty, had some real big problems. But let me give you some examples. This is how Paul begins his letters to the Philippians. I thank my God every time I remember you. To the Colossians. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. To the Thessalonians. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. I mean, so thank, say thank you to God. And thank you to God for the people that are in your life. And make sure you say thank you to the people themselves. It's as simple as this. This morning, I thank God for the privilege of serving First Lutheran Church. And so I'm going to say to you, I want you to know how very thankful I am for you. Thank you. Thank you for just being who you are. I mean, it doesn't take anything more than that. Let me ask you a question. What would you say is your dominant emotion? Your dominant emotion. Dread? Fear? Shame? Guilt? Anger? Worry? Joy, happy clappy. I mean, what tops the list on your daily emotions? Let me give you a suggestion. Gratitude. Put that at the top of your list for a few days. See if it doesn't change. I reflect back on a high school student I had. I think of her every so often. Kathy Zipway was her name. And I'd be walking down the hallways in the high school, and she'd shout at me, Good morning, Mr. Kolb. And I'd say, Good morning. She'd say, How are you? I'd say, Fine. She said, Then let your face know about it. <laughs> I mean, just see what a difference being a person of gratitude would make. Samuel Johnson, I think his picture will pop up here too. Um, said, he who has so little knowledge of human nature as to seek happiness by changing anything but his own disposition 
will waste his life in fruitless efforts and multiply the grief which he purposes to remove. You know, if there's one sin I think that is most prevalent today, it's the sin of ingratitude. Way too many people think they deserve everything they get. And as a result, don't bother to say thank you to anybody for it. It happens even in our church life. I mean, just just think for a moment, friends. God does so very much for us. And and if you can't think of any reason right now of what God's done for you, uh, think just for a moment to what last Sunday was. It's Easter. It was Easter. It was a celebration of Easter. uh, as a celebration of deliverance from our sins, from death, and from Satan. It was all one through the suffering death and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, our indebtedness, what we owe him, is absolutely enormous. We don't owe him in a way that we earn a position with him, but it's like, wow, wow, look at what he's done for us. What could we possibly do in return? How about live a life of gratitude? But rarely, or at least infrequently, do God's people give thanks. In fact, many professing Christians don't even bother to say thank you over a meal, much less thank them for what God does and continues to do. We're a lot like that little boy who was given an orange by uh, a man in the grocery store. Uh, The little boy's mother said, what do you say to the nice man? The little boy thought for a moment, looked at the orange, handed the orange back and said, peel it. See, for a child of God, that's who we are. An attitude of gratitude is not confined to a Sunday morning. It's not for the season of Easter. It's not just around Christmas time. It's not just when we can obviously see some monumental thing that God has done for us. But it ought to be an attitude we have for every day, every hour, every minute, every month, every year. Scripture is pretty clear that if you want to change your life, maybe what you first need to do is change your attitude. The Bible says over and over, have this mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is one of gratitude. I mean, even Jesus said, I'd rather not do this, but because my Father, I give thanks that he's called me to do this. Again, I'll come back to this. The more you appreciate your life, everything in it that God has given you, the more your life will appreciate. So let gratitude set the rhythm of your life. Let's stand for our closing.